Vesmir Kai Hainif Il Mundo Tata Dima Poted Lite Hair You're listening to The World at Your Fingertips Good morning Morning You're excited for our episode today. (laughs) Morning. Good morning. Good morning, Molly. And welcome back to another episode of The World at Your Fingertips. Woo! I do feel like I need that to be like a. We need to record a power, dramatic action film version of that title because every time I say it, I automatically go into the world. At your fingertips. <laughs> just awful. Da, 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 da. And I'm just like the 20th Century Fox, like drums <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> I'll yeah. just come out with my bongo, like. Or is it trumpets? I don't know. Uh, I don't there's, know. A, there's a snare drum involved. There's a, yeah, I'm somewhere. Sure. Somewhere in there. How are you today? I am very good, thank you. I, I just feel good. Today's a good day. Do you ever get that feeling? Yeah, it's like today a. Today is a good day. Today is. Is a good day. I'm excited about today's episode. But before we get to that, what are you drinking, Kate? I'm drinking gallons of coffee, as per. <laughs> Not literally oh, gallons. Why? A cafetier full of coffee, a two-person cafetier, and that will be gone by the end of this introduction, I expect. So, oh, God. Jackson for a treat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, I'm on the opposite end of that scale. I've got a teeny tiny espresso cup of coffee and it's not even caffeinated because we're out of caffeinated coffee it's not it's not great God, who are you, what are you doing, Molly? <laughs> get that caffeine back yeah i know i feel quite lost really but it's still gonna be a good day doesn't matter don't need caffeine don't pretend like you don't fully function off caffeine molly <laughs> yeah well we, but this you know, will still be a good day i can try yeah. all right <laughs> so this week uh, we're talking about something that's slightly different to previous topics that we've explored yeah, so we usually go for topics that are sort of social issues. That's what we've sort of focused on in the past and things that have affect people more broadly and that a lot of people can understand. But perhaps this is a bit more of a niche because we're discussing a health condition today. Yeah. Uh, and that is epilepsy. Yeah, so today we're actually, yeah, we're focusing on something slightly different. And so I think the nature of this whole episode is probably going to be slightly different as well. We're talking about something that is important and is important to me personally and something that I feel needs to be talked about more as it's something that's commonly misunderstood, not really known much about, and it affects more people than I think a lot of people realise. I just said people a lot. Does that make sense? Yeah, it did. <laughs> so for people who don't know much about epilepsy, I have got a, I've got a, a definition from epilepsy.org.uk. So epilepsy is a condition that affects the brain. When someone has epilepsy, it means they have a tendency to have epileptic seizures. Anyone can have a one-off seizure, but this doesn't always mean they have epilepsy. Epilepsy is usually only diagnosed if a doctor thinks there's a high chance that the person could have more seizures. Epilepsy can start at any age, And there are many different types. Some types of epilepsy last for a limited time and the person eventually stops having seizures. But for many people, epilepsy is a lifelong condition. Yeah, so obviously already in there, there was a lot of things that I didn't know about epilepsy. So that it's like the diagnostic process is that it's a condition in the brain that is repeated. So it's not about the singular seizure or even the type of seizure, but it's about the brain's tendency to repetitively seize, which I didn't know. Yeah. 
it's such a complex condition because it's to do with the brain and the brain is such a complex organ like I don't think anyone really understands so to then try to understand how epilepsy manifests how it's caused and according to epilepsy research 65% of epilepsy cases have no known cause so to try and even comprehend epilepsy can be quite difficult for anybody I think perhaps that's why it's not talked about more and that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it today and why I wanted to get our guest on who is actually my brother who has epilepsy. I know it's a really serious topic but your brother wrote different versions of his name on our notes and the last one is just quack duxum and it literally has been cracking me up like the past five minutes. (laughs) So that's Jack Blumson is his actual name and he wrote he took it upon himself to take our our professional research brief for the world at your fingertips to to re- to write out his name. He didn't make any notes on the discussion that the notes that we've made, but he's written out his name in how many one two three four five six seven different ways. Jack Diggity Dog Blomson. <laughs> it literally cracks me up. Like that is such a brother thing to do. Yeah. Um, so obviously we sort of spoken. It is. I think the main thing for me is I literally did not know anything about epilepsy. Like all I knew about it was you see that at the start of films and television programs, not suitable for people with photosensitive epilepsy. That is literally what epilepsy exists as is my mind is it is something to do with flashing lights. It just hasn't intersected with my life at all as a condition. And I think that is the case for a lot of people Yeah. Uh, that they just don't have an understanding because they've never had a personal attachment to the condition. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think that is probably why it's not really talked about. But I think also people are, I think there's a discomfort about it as well. I think because perhaps of the, either like the lack of understanding or maybe misunderstanding what epilepsy actually is. And like you said about the photosensitive epilepsy, that, as I understand it, is not the most common. And there are lots of other triggers. So for example, a seizure can be triggered by stress, lack of sleep or alcohol, which I don't think is very widely known. And those are the only sort of common seizure triggers that are listed on living with epilepsy on the NHS website, not photosensitivity or anything like that. Which is crazy when, if we just take a second to think how people live in their general daily lives, whether at university or in your work, that includes stress, lack of sleep and alcohol in 90% of the cases of people's lives. So to think that is one of the most common triggers of epilepsy is just, it's crazy to me. Yeah, completely. And so just for, you know, for some more context, so one in 100 people have epilepsy. And this statistic is more than the combined amount of people with multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, MS and HIV. Yeah, and you think of the the amount of, uh, I'm not sure if it's the amount of knowledge or just the standing that those other conditions, they have standings as like intimidating, scary conditions that you could have. And there's like a common knowledge about them of what they are. Whereas even though epilepsy is way more common, it is not discussed as much. And I guess that's because there's so many different types of epilepsy. Yeah, that... and I, I think as well, it's the it's the severity that's associated with these other diseases or conditions, which I don't think is associated with epilepsy in the same way. And of course, these other conditions and diseases are, they're awful. And, you know, Parkinson's has impacted upon my life as well. So I, I know how awful they can be. But it's, I think people don't know that with epilepsy, it's something that anyone that anyone can develop. 
it's not curable, but it's treatable. It's not hereditary. Some people develop it and grow out of it. Some people live with it. Sometimes it gets better or the condition improves or sometimes it can get worse. There are 40 different types of seizure. They're on along a spectrum that can be that can be experienced by anyone who develops epilepsy. And there are 25 known drugs used to treat it. But the problem with this is that they're quite invasive drugs which have difficult side effects. And it can be a bit of a, a lottery to find the right treatment. You know, it's tr- sort of trial and error to try and find out which one works for each individual person. Because again, the brain is so complex, no one can understand what exactly is needed to be able to control this condition. Yeah. And we sort of talk about as well, like, these are people of all ages. So it's not it's not discriminated based on age, or as I understand it. So these are from young children to developed adults, all having to take many different, well, sometimes a combination of drugs, isn't it, to to treat this epilepsy. Mm. And that is like a ongoing, not struggle is the wrong thing, but it's something they have to manage throughout their life. And it impacts their everyday life is what I'm trying to get at. So it's not like it's a, people think of it, oh, you can't go and watch flashing images on screen. It's not, it's something you have to manage and be conscious of. It's it's very difficult if it's not confined to one age range or something like that. It's it's everyone, well, not everyone, but it's a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life that can affect. It's a definite anxiety. And here it says that one third of the UK population that have epilepsy. So so like I said earlier, it's one in 100 people. So in the context of the UK population, that's 1% of the population. So that's 600,000 people. So 200,000 people who have epilepsy are classed as drug resistant, which means that they can't find the right drug to be able to control the seizures which is really that's a really hard thing to digest and to know that there are people who can't find the right drug but I also think that these people are incredibly resilient and that you know a lot of these people do not let it define their lives. I think in order to to have a condition where in 65% of the cases there's no known cause and then you get told on top of that that well a third of people get told of that there's no treatment of it You've got to be resilient in order to carry on with your everyday life. Having this idea that you can have a seizure at any moment is yeah. must be so. I can't even imagine. And I think, but I think that's why I want to talk about it is to kind of raise awareness for the fact that there are people living this, living through epilepsy, and I want to sort of discuss why it's important and and go through the points that are perhaps misunderstood about the condition. And just talk about it to hopefully our listeners can take something from it and perhaps think twice when the next time they watch something on screen and see the the flashing lights warning and realise that actually that is just one sort of small proportion of this large spectrum within this condition that can affect people who have had or do have epilepsy. Before we uh, introduce our guests, I also want to just talk about some of the famous people with epilepsy that perhaps people don't realise as well. So Elton John has epilepsy, Theodore Roosevelt had epilepsy, Lil Wayne, Prince, Albert Einstein, Lewis Carroll. So, you know, a lot of big names. You know, before I found this list, I had no idea that these people were affected by epilepsy. Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know any of these people, but I've just seen on the list there's Cameron Boyce, who was... I mean, I remember him from Jesse on Disney Channel. Yeah. He's, um, he was 20 when he unfortunately passed away of epilepsy. Last year, wasn't it? Hasn't it just yeah. been 
a year anniversary of yeah. his passing. Yeah, I think it has actually. It's just so awful. So uh, for people who don't know that particular story, Cameron Boyce was 20 years old, he had epilepsy, and he passed away from a form of epilepsy that's called SUDEP, which is Sudden Unexpected Death in Epilepsy. So this is something we're going to talk about in our discussion with Jack. But again, this is just another part of this condition that people don't know about, and it needs to be talked about more. Because I, I think people don't think that people can die from epilepsy, but they can. And that's not just through SUDEP, that can be through having a seizure in the wrong place at the wrong time. So this is all going to be part of our discussion with Jack, who has just texted me. Um, we are going to be switching over to record with Zoom, uh, because Jack wants our listeners to see his uh, his pretty face. So, <laughs> honestly, so if you guys uh, wanted to see see us on video talking, you can head to our social media, uh, so at Keep Busy Productions on Instagram, at T-W-A-Y-F-T podcast on Twitter. Twyford. Twyford. Twyford podcast. And then you can also see us on Keep Busy Productions on Facebook. We are going to be switching over to Zoom, as Jack also insisted that he was going to have a walk in the park. Whilst, whilst we record this episode, which, you I know. just love how he's like, I'm doing this, so take it or leave it. Yeah, I know. Like, thanks, cool. Uh, That's so, such a brother thing to do. Yeah. Know. But yeah, so we are going to be recording through Zoom. So there will be park ambiance. Ambiance. <laughs> ambiance. <laughs> so just to, just to apologise now for any audio issues that may arise. But yeah, I think we'll take our conversation to Jack. Welcome to... The world of your fingertips, Jack. We'll start with what are you drinking? Um, I'm afraid it's quite it's quite boring. It's a coffee from a cafe just around the corner, and it's it's actually it's coffee number three of the day. Um, <laughs> but also today is actually at least in London anyway that pubs are reopening. Yeah. Um, so from six a.m. this morning, some people are in pubs. So I think if we had done this in a couple of hours' time, I would have had probably a more interesting drink. But I'm afraid it's quite boring that coffee. I mean, I'm intrigued. Since they all opened at 6am, have you had any, have you walked past anyone drunk in the street yet? Yeah, I have actually. So I live just in Bethnal Green and I walked into um, Victoria Park Village and there are, there are people spilling out of the pub and it was 11am when I, when I got the coffee. So it was definitely surreal to add to all the other surreal stuff this, from this year. Yeah. Watching people come out of the pub at 11am. Um, also, there are a couple of barbers which are open, and apparently they were allowed to be open from midnight. So people are booked in to get haircuts at midnight last night. Wow, it's just so strange that I, mean, I just love people's priorities. They're like straight away haircut and booze, bam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that's what I've been dying without. <laughs> Only the essentials, yeah. So well, we're talking about epilepsy today, as you well know. So before we start that discussion, would you tell us yeah. about yourself? Uh, about what you do your, I just dropped uh, my coffee you just spilled your coffee yeah um oh, so no. I'm clumsy that's one thing about me <laughs> uh yeah sure so I'm Jack and I am Molly's brother and um you like to be defined as Molly's brother <laughs> that's that's yeah that's that's how I spent my whole teenhood being I spent my whole teenhood being defined as Jack's Jack Blumson's sister so I quite like that the tables have turned the tables have turned um, yeah, and so I am 26 now, um, but when I was 21, uh, or 20 actually, I got diagnosed with uh, temporal lobe epilepsy, so I was in my last year of uni, and then I spent the sort of the last five, six years or so grappling with it, or trying to get my head around it, and 
I think for, for the most part, I've been quite lucky in that I managed to relatively early on find an anti-epileptic medication that could control the, the seizures that I was having. So I've now been seizure-free for just over a year. Oh, sorry, just under a year. But that's about me. Do you want, do you want to know anything else? Yeah, like what, what do you do for a job? What do you call <laughs> hobbies? Uh, what are my hobbies? I feel like everyone's taken up some sort of lockdown hobby. And at the very beginning of lockdown, I bought a, uh, an acoustic bass guitar because I always wanted to learn how to play the bass. Um, that's been taking up some time. For a job, I, um, with my, my friend and now business partner, who's called Gleb, he's a friend from university, we run a wine business. So we import and sell wine from um, far-flung and relatively underrepresented places. So, so we don't sell wine from you know, France or Spain or Italy or Australia or America. We find it in places like Georgia, um, Israel, and Lebanon and Slovenia and Croatia and Hungary and a whole load of other sort of slightly smaller countries and we sell it in the UK so that's what I do. I actually did a wine tasting when I was in Slovenia and it was great. First and oh, wow. ever, yeah only ever wine tasting I've ever done and really enjoyed it. Very cool do you remember what you had? Slovenian wines. <laughs> that's what they were. I have no that makes sense. <laughs> I have never drunk wine probably before that point and haven't since i'm a beer gal but it was it was very enjoyable a whole oh, nice getting booze. yeah well i mean so one of the main thing one of the purposes of the business is to strip away all of the pretentiousness and snobbery that you get you know associated with wine it's such a posh and jargon heavy industry so part of the business is about finding wine in completely undiscovered places but the other part is you know very much about presenting it to people in a completely laid back unpretentious and jargon free way because we think that wine is is a bit stuck in its ways so anyway that's sorry i've gone on a bit of a tangent but that's that's what i do so jack do you have any social medias to uh, plug whilst you're here with- oh yes we do so we're called other world of wines um so you can find us on instagram at Otherworld Wines, all one word, and, um, and we've got a website as well, um, which is www.otherworldwines.co.uk. Amazing. So check it out for some cool. delicious wine. Cool. So to start with, Kate and I have been talking about epilepsy, about how it's not really talked about, how it can be misunderstood, and also how it actually does affect a lot of people in the UK and worldwide. So I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about your own journey with it and what you think about, the, about those three points. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That, that I think one of the most striking things about it is, is just how misunderstood it is as a condition. So I think when you say epilepsy, people think flashing lights and falling on the floor and having seizures. And that is called photosensitive epilepsy. And is actually only 3% of people with epilepsy have seizures triggered by flashing lights. So that's, that's actually really a minority. I'm not sure why or how that's sort of taken the headlines. But it's, yeah, so epilepsy, 80 new people get diagnosed every day. And there are about a dozen different types of epilepsy. And there are over 50 different types of seizures. But I think, you know, above and beyond those stats, I think the really interesting thing about epilepsy is that there is no known cause and there is also no cure. So some people have acupuncture, some people have 
CBD. Some people like me take anti-epileptic medication and it controls the seizures, but there's no actual, you know, fix or jab. So, um, and yeah, they don't know entirely how it started. So yeah, mi misunderstood is definitely right. It's a very complex and difficult condition to, to get your head around. So do, do you think there's, do you think that's perhaps why it's such a taboo to like to talk about because it's frightening to people and perhaps maybe not being able to understand what it is and how it works because that like there's not been enough research yet to work out exactly how it's caused or we you know whether there will be I hope that eventually there will be a way to be able to work that out but do you think that's why do you think that's why it's not talked about? Um, I actually I don't know why it's not talked about more I think it's because because it's not actually that common but it's not like a you know incredibly rare condition but few people actually know somebody with epilepsy so this doesn't really affect their lives and, and I guess I guess the upshot is you're only going to be ever prompted to really look into it if it's very heavily impacting someone that you know or, or impacting you so the only reason that for example my friends know quite a lot about it is, is just because of me otherwise there's just there's no reason for them to ever have really looked into it so I think the reason really it's not perhaps talked about more is not that it's not because it's taboo but probably more because it's um it's just not common enough it doesn't doesn't play a big enough role in people's lives I guess. I mean, but you say that, and there's, but well, there's a statistic that one person in every 100 people have epilepsy. So that's actually quite common. That's quite a large statistic considering it's not really talked about and it's related so commonly to the photosensitive type of epilepsy. So I find that strange to understand. And, you know, you saying that it's less common. I suppose it is, but I think there's more to it than that. I think there's like, there's more that needs to be unpacked from it because then I think, I think I'll try and help you out. But if, if this is not what you're trying to say, then obviously correct me. But I think people are uncomfortable with it because there is something which is quite scary about it. And, it, you know, it, a seizure can happen at any time, quite literally. And so it can sort of strike out of nowhere and can instantly render you completely unconscious, no matter where you are or what you're doing. And that is quite a scary thing and it's quite an uncomfortable thing. And uh, I don't know how many people have seen other people having seizures, but when you watch someone have a seizure, which I have, it makes you feel very personally uncomfortable. And it's, there's something quite, I guess, disturbing about it, mm. um, which is, is a shame, just, you know, but it is. So, uh, yeah, I guess people are uncomfortable about it because it is quite, yeah, it's scary, it's mysterious, and it, 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 it can have such an impact on people's um, well-being. Sorry, I'm, I'm in the park, so people are cycling past me. <laughs> I guess also, like, with so many things to do with the brain, everyone's brain is individual and everyone's brain reacts to things in different ways. So it is one of those things that, in terms of symptoms, everyone might have a... I mean, as my understanding, I don't know anyone with epilepsy apart from you. Thank you for being my... <laughs> um, but Anytime. I've never seen anyone have a seizure. Like my understanding of epilepsy before I looked into it more, literally my understanding of it was that everyone, most people had photosensitive epilepsy. But with the brain, because it's there's so many variations and so many different manifestations of epilepsy, like yeah. I think it goes into the one in one hundred people might have very varying degrees of severity of seizures within that one in 100. So it's quite hard to justify one in 100 when it's so many different symptoms as a result. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's a good point about the brain. I mean, it's infinitely more complicated than the most advanced supercomputer that humans have ever made. And just to illustrate it, I, I got told a couple of things when I first got diagnosed. And that was, there are hundreds of billions of neurons in your brain constantly firing around in no, you know, completely disorganized way, just randomly flying around all over the place. And if just one of those neurons out of those hundreds of billions short circuits or, or come slightly out of, you know, touches the side of the brain, basically, that's a seizure. And so it, it's pretty much impossible to track or trace because it's so complicated. It's like trying to unwire just a, an incredibly tangled web. And, and another thing I got told, actually, this again, just illustrates, I think, how little we still know about the brain by my neurologist when, when I first got diagnosed, which was that in the medical community, they still, you know, even the top neurologists in the world still don't really understand how it is that, that humans talk. You know, one of our most basic features, which like distinguishes us from animals, is that we can talk, but we don't understand actually how we can do that. We somehow listen to words, somehow understand and, and absorb them and understand what they mean. And then when we need to express something or say something to someone, we can somehow just pick up those words that we've remembered and the brain just knows how to order them. So, you know, I've, I've never said this sentence in this order before, but my brain knows how to do that. And it can just randomly put words together, which obviously we take, we take for granted. But that's something that you'd have to spend years and years programming a supercomputer to try and replicate that function. And the brain just does it effortlessly. And we don't understand how we do that. So, um, or at least we didn't at the time that I was diagnosed about five years ago. So I just feel like if we can't even understand how we as a species can talk and communicate epilepsy, you know, and trying to understand what causes seizures is, uh, is a whole different ballgame. Yeah, completely. I, I mean, it's quite a daunting thing, I think, to discuss because I think people really don't realise the complexity of the human brain. And... Mm -hmm. So thank you there for like putting that into some perspective. But even then, obviously, it's still an absolutely mammoth thing to even begin to try and uh, try and understand. Yeah. Um, talking about your own personal experience with epilepsy, could you tell us a bit more about your journey with your medication and sort of how epilepsy has impacted your own like day to day life? And yeah, yeah, just tell us a bit more about that. So, I mean, my own, my own, I guess, yeah, journey with it started when I was, so I was in my third year of uni and I, uh, so I, I don't know if this was a, if this was a thing at all at Southampton, but at Bristol, people, particularly around dissertation time, started taking Ritalin or Adderall, which are drugs for people with ADHD. The idea being that you can sit in the library and focus and you basically sit and focus on something for seven eight nine hours at a time so people started taking it to write their dissertations anyway i wanted some so i was thinking about how i'm going to try and get prescribed some from the doctor and then around that time i was actually handing in an essay and i, I was walking into my department to hand, hand in this paper and just completely out of nowhere i got a, a strange sort of sensation in my uh, in my head a really sort of focused sharp sort of zapping feeling which i'd never had before and and then i don't really know what happened i sort of blanked out for a few seconds but when i when i came to i had walked on about three or four meters and my essay was on the floor behind me 
So what, well, I don't know what happened, but you know, you lose all your grip when you have any sort of seizure. So I dropped the paper and just carried on walking and was sort of stumbling, came to, and to be honest, I didn't think it was epilepsy. I didn't know what it was. And to be honest, I really didn't think too much of it. Just thought oh, it's a bit strange, but certainly didn't think I had epilepsy. I, I knew nothing about epilepsy at the time. Anyway, and, and so then the same thing happened actually a few days later. And I thought, okay, well, that's weird because that's, that's never, ever happened to me. And now it's just happened twice in, in a couple of days. And anyway, so I called up the uni doctor um, because I wanted to see if I could get prescribed any Ritalin. And she was obviously very wise to it because it's a thing that, lots of third year students do so she was quite dismissive and she said well there's a long waiting list and you know I'd, I'd need to properly sort of diagnose you and she was, wasn't interested and then I said okay well also I've been having these sort of small sensations where I lose focus or consciousness for, for a few seconds and then instantly her the tone of her voice changed and she said okay we'll come in this afternoon and, and I'll see you so I did and I went in thinking you know nothing of these weird little head sensations and thought I was going to get prescribed Ritalin so I went in and started talking about it and again she was quite dismissive and sort of wasn't really interested at all and said okay but tell me more about these these feelings that you're getting these sets these sensations so I explained it in quite a lot of detail and she said it sounds like you've got temporal lobe epilepsy which is a relatively common type of epilepsy so so I went in thinking I was going to get uh, Ritalin and I, I came out being diagnosed with epilepsy so it was definitely a shock and then I guess the, the months that followed were really getting my head around exactly what it, this condition is that I've just been diagnosed with because as we were talking about earlier it's such a, an, an unknown condition I really knew nothing about it and then yeah and then sort of embracing it and really my, my focus was to try and tackle it head on and, and do everything I could to get the seizures under control because they, they were slowly starting to get worse and worse so they, they started out as small uh, they're called petty mal seizures where you just lose consciousness for a, a few seconds and then a grand mal seizure is the, the sort of slightly famous one where you're on the floor and you are sort of convulsing and I started to have those over the summer so at the time I, I had no idea where I was going I thought well this time last year I, there was nothing you know wrong with me and then I started having the smaller seizures and then I started having the bigger seizures. And I thought, well, Christ, how, how bad is this going to get? How long is this going to go on for? And I think that for a lot of people with epilepsy is the scary thing because you just, you just don't know. Anyway, so very luckily since then, I've managed to get the, the seizures completely under control. So I take, uh, in fact, actually up until recently, I took six pills a day just before I go to sleep. And I've actually since reduced that slowly down to two. So I now take two pills a day. I take lamotrigine and yeah that's i mean that's been my um five-year journey and i was seizure free for about three years and then last summer started having regular seizures again and for me the trigger has always been a lack of sleep so you know like i said earlier three percent of people it's photosensitive some people it's you know trauma if you, if you bump your head in a certain way some people it's absolutely nothing it's just completely random but for me the common denominator has always been when I have a lack of sleep and I just come back from a music festival last summer where I probably didn't get as much sleep as I should have done but pleased to say I've since since got them under control when they did start again was that a change of medication for you did you have to change medication no I I basically end up having to have a whole load of new tests. So new MRI scans, new EEG scans, where they strap electrodes to, to your, your head and, and a whole load of others. And they said, actually, we know that you've been seizure free, you know, 
largely speaking for the last few years, but we're going to try um, taking you off this one medication called Epilim because we don't think it's actually doing you any good. And, and then I found out after I've been taken off it that one of the side effects of Epilim is loss. My dad and brother have both lost their hair. And so I was, I was quite pleased to, to come off it and uh, try and keep as much hair as possible. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure you don't want to clan. Yeah, I should also just very quickly say that, so in terms of my day-to-day life, it doesn't restrict me at all. And in fact, actually, in, in some ways, you know, there have been some, some benefits. So one of them, and in just in case there is anybody with epilepsy um, who lives in London who's listening, you can apply to get free unlimited travel on all transport for london so all overground trains around london all tubes or buses you know everything is, is completely free but in terms of how i live my life what i do the only thing that's epilepsy related is every night before i go to sleep i take medication but otherwise i'm extremely lucky in that it doesn't doesn't impact me i definitely i do have i think anxieties about um, or perhaps anxiety is, is, is not quite the right word, but there is, so that there is an extremely rare form of epilepsy, which is called SUDEP, and it stands for Sudden Unexpected Death in Epilepsy. What it is, it's, it's a very specific type of seizure where you have the seizure and instantly, no matter what you're doing or where you are, your brain just stops working and you die instantly. And that, that happened to uh, an old friend of mine uh, and a very close friend of Molly's um, called Amelia Roberts, uh, who had, had, I would say, much more complex and much more difficult journey with epilepsy from, from the age of about 16 um, when she was diagnosed up until uh, 21 when she, uh, when she died. Because she, and this, this points back to the thing I was saying earlier about how there's no cure and the drugs are also relatively hit and miss. And so she tried, I think, 13 or 14 different types of anti-epileptic drugs and none of them ever worked. So it was really, really restrictive. And she was having you know, regular seizures, which were getting worse and worse over the years. She was never able to drive. But I think what was amazing, and Molly, I'm sure you'll you know, back me up on this, is, is how, how resilient she was and how she didn't let it define her or control her. And so she still... In, in spite of the fact that she was having regular seizures, she she was just amazingly resilient and she played lacrosse to a very high standard, went to uni and yeah, it, it didn't define her day to day. And I think that's really important for people with epilepsy is to not let it uh, affect how you fulfill your your potential. Talking about Sudep and then talking about Mia, her story was really tragic and it is really tragic. And it's something that has been something that has definitely i think brought a lot of awareness for a lot of people sort of in a, our personal circles but also as well actually in media as well so earlier this year in january a lady called harry miller found the order of service for mia's funeral uh, in her office desk and in the order of service it had all of the donation details for epilepsy society um, because Mia made the decision before she passed away that she would donate her brain for research for epilepsy. And so in the inside the order of service, there was some information about that and how to donate to the Epilepsy Society. And this lady, she tweeted it and tweeted that she found the order of service and how it had moved her and that she was going to donate some money. And she posted the donation link and it, and it just blew up on Twitter. And Debbie and Hamish, who are Mia's parents, ended up on BBC News, on Sky News, 
talking about epilepsy and talking about SUDEP. And I really think that although it was such an awful and sad story, the fact that Mia still had such an impact on people, an impact on research for epilepsy still, even this was over a year after she'd passed away, I think was really remarkable. And I think it's well very important for how, well, how people can sort of start to try and understand what SUDEP is and how it does affect people with epilepsy. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and in fact, also the fact that when she tweeted and it, and it went viral, the fundraising page went from, it was like, these figures, yeah. but it, it was like £80,000 up to something absolutely yeah, insane. It was absolutely incredible. The kindness of so many people online who had read this story and donated to such an important cause as well. Stories like that and as well, uh, we were talking about celebrities earlier who have epilepsy and not too long after Mia passed away, a Disney actor called Cameron Boyce also passed away from SUDEP at the age of 20. And so- Oh really? Yeah, so I think people are starting to read more about it and perhaps, I wouldn't, I'd understand is the wrong word, but be aware of the fact that this, is, this does happen and this exists. Yeah, I mean, we spoke in the last few episodes sort of about the power of media and that it's not that people aren't willing to care and that people aren't interested in things that can help, you know, the wider population. But I think a lot of the time it is just the fact that there's just the awareness and that's the, it's the thing that there's so many things to consider. Like we get so much information. What I'm trying to say basically, people are nice, but it is about raising awareness and as awful as it is, something like a viral tweet or a Disney star passing away from this condition really does like alert people to what is included under the umbrella of the term epilepsy. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's absolutely right. And, and it, is, it was a wonderful story. It's, I mean, what everyone went through when Mia passed away was just, you know, devastating um, and heartbreaking and completely just tore everyone's lives apart. But the fact that, yeah, you know, like you said, Molly, well over a year after it happens for tens of thousands of pounds to be to be raised. But yeah, the fact that they went on BBC News and whatever it was, you know, radio stations, everything to explain. I mean, obviously to tell the story, because I think that that individual story is very important and needs to be told, but more, you know, to explain epilepsy and just increase people's awareness and understanding of it. I think very moving. Yeah, absolutely. So while we're talking about SUDEP and how it is such a key focus of research for, for Epilepsy Society, but also lots of other epilepsy research organisations and charities, just to give some statistics, around 600 people lose their lives to sudden death in epilepsy, so SUDEP, in the UK every year. So that is one in 1,000 people with epilepsy. And those people with epilepsy who sadly pass away from this they are people who have not found the right medication or can it be anyone who who is affected by epilepsy no it can be anyone yeah, it can, yeah. so anyone who has epilepsy and that's probably why it's well one of the main reasons of why it's such a key focus for research and the epilepsy society say that they are quoting them saying we believe that each one of those deaths could potentially have been avoidable but we need to understand more about the mechanisms of SUDEP we need to know which markers might indicate that a person could be vulnerable to premature mortality and we need to know what measures need to be put in place to safeguard those at greatest risk. So again it's just completely based on research and the developments within research. It's obviously a wonderful thing and the research that goes into it is fantastic and it's so important but it's a difficult thing well there's no immediate answer there's no no one knows why this is happening 
So it's just a very difficult thing to, to even, well, even to begin to understand. Yeah, it is. It's difficult to understand. And it's, it's also difficult to ignore it. Yeah. And by that, I guess I mean that there's always a cloud of anxiety or doubt or whatever that's just lingering that that can happen. And the fact that it's so poorly understood adds to the, the I don't know, the unpredictability and the, the mysteriousness of it. Yeah, I guess that that also leads to a question I, I wanted to ask you, Jack, and well, Molly as well, because obviously Jack's your brother, but not only for people suffering with epilepsy, but I don't know if you can, like, has it affected your relationship with other people once they've sort of found out and understood more about the condition? And just generally, like I can imagine, that wanting to educate people and wanting to raise money for epilepsy research, yet also wanting to not, I don't want to say dwell on it, but not bring it into every interaction you have because it is quite a intimidating concept, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, again, I mean, I should really emphasize the epilepsy I have uh, in, in many respects. I'm really lucky in, in that it's, it's quite mild and it doesn't, I guess, doesn't impact because it's as mild as it is and I don't have, you know, regular seizures. I wouldn't say it has a huge effect on other people in my life. But having said that, Molly can attest to this. My mum, as, as all mums do, mums, mums are very good at worrying. Mum is, uh, is sort of, I think, always concerned. And I worry that it has an impact, you know, sometimes on her because of the fear that she has. It, I think, is a, a real, I wouldn't quite say crippling worry, but I think impacts I guess her, her attitude in in a lot of ways to to me and how I how I behave and um and other things but other people you know make jokes about it not in a mocking way but in a um I guess like sort of you know trying to be funny kind of way and I think that's probably comes out of being slightly uncomfortable about it I don't at all take offense to that it's just I think the way some people deal with it, some people are very, very inquisitive and they want to know all the details. And I think that's just more a reflection, I guess, of their own personalities. Some people don't care. Uh, so I think, yeah, it, it impacts everyone, I guess, very differently. And I think that, I think it is an, it's an interesting point when you think about how other people perceive you for it and, and, and whether or not you're thought of differently. But I mean, I've got two very great friends who ran a marathon with me um, in Italy a couple of years ago to raise money for Epilepsy Research UK, who are one of the two, there are two sort of main epilepsy charities. Um, there's the Epilepsy Society and Epilepsy Research UK. And we ran a marathon in Trieste in Northern Italy to raise money. And they did that entirely out of sort of support and solidarity. Because um, at the time I was only sort of relatively recent I, I had only relatively recently managed to get the seizures under control so um yeah so to answer your question a whole range of things you know from a very worried mum to very supportive friends to you know very inquisitive people people who who will sort of make jokes yeah so it's a it's a real broad brush on on the note of a worried mum shout out to, to Janie Blum because she'll 100% be listening to this episode um, <laughs> to no, yeah so yeah, I think it's really interesting. I, well, I think it's really a good thing that people are curious about it and are inquisitive and asking questions. And is that something that you feel like, do you enjoy people asking lots of questions or do you think that can be quite invasive? Or how does that make you feel when people react to it that way? No, I, I'm quite happy to talk about it. and I'm quite happy to, to feel questions on it, to be honest, because the way I've, I've found that has been the, the best way of dealing with it has been to 
extremely pragmatic with it, tackle it head on, really try to understand it and just do, do the, I guess, take the right steps to be able to get it under control. And so, so for that, I'm, I'm happy to, yeah, I don't, I don't find it invasive um, at all. I think if people were to define me by it or to, to say, oh, you know, Jack, my epileptic mate or, you know, something like that, then that would, I would have a problem with that because Molly, you can agree or disagree. But I think there's, I wouldn't say that's my defining characteristic. I don't think that's, that's, no, I'm sure, I'm sure no one does. So yeah, I don't mind talking about it, asking questions about it, I guess, as long as I'm not defined by it. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think I think that's probably a good place to wrap up what we've been talking about. And Jack, I think what you've said has been really, really useful. And I'm really thankful for you joining us and telling us, telling our listeners about your story as well. But there's something that I would like to ask before we finish, because I think it's a discussion that is kind of gaining momentum from or well, from how I understand it. But that is the use of cannabis as a treatment for epilepsy. And I, I know that you've uh, looked into it as well. So I just wondered what you thought of that and whether you think it's something that should be pushed through legalised here as a, as a treatment. Yeah, I mean, so the, the short answer is yes, I, I absolutely think it should be made legal medicinally, perhaps recreationally, but that's a different that's a, um, discussion <laughs> about government policy. But, but certainly medicinally, it should be not only legalised, but encouraged and, and not only in, in epilepsy, but in, in a whole range of degenerative brain conditions. So Parkinson's, for example, is one where cannabis has had actually an even greater success rate at controlling or dealing with than epilepsy. I think the problem is at the moment that we've got is because cannabis is uh, illegal in the UK, it's not it's not fully understood so the side effects so doctors will always have difficulty even you know in its purest form whether it's so cbd which is the part of the cannabis plant which is not thc so thc is the psychoactive element of the plant so that's what gets you high whereas cbd has got no impact on how you are it doesn't doesn't make you high but it's got amazing medicinal purposes. But I think doctors will struggle to prescribe it because it's an illegal drug. It hasn't been tested. It hasn't been proved in the UK. People aren't quite clear on what the long-term psychological effects are. So people don't know that it doesn't lead to long-term depression or paranoia. That's the main thing that people point to and say, well, we can't really prescribe it because it's not really fully understood. I very strongly disagree with that and think that it should, it can be used to treat epilepsy and it should be completely widely available and free on the NHS as a form of anti-epileptic medication because there are, uh, particularly with CBD, no proven side effects, unlike all of the other uh, anti-epileptic medication. So I would just encourage listeners to read, you know, much more about it. And there are countless petitions online of people with very severe cases of epilepsy who are having to illegally go to the Netherlands and procure cannabis, a very pure form of cannabis, and, and then smuggle it back into the country you know, and, and potentially risk getting arrested. I mean, it, it is absolutely insane that you can get arrested for getting a, a medication which is legal in, in Amsterdam or in the Netherlands, but, but not here. It's terrible. So you look into it, look into the research of it, sign petitions. There's so much out there. But yeah, so I the short answer is yes, I think that it should be made available for medicinal purposes to treat epilepsy, Parkinson's and perhaps other degenerative brain conditions. 
Yeah, I mean, along with that, like even researching into um, treatments like cannabis or researching generally into epilepsy like this. I mean, I definitely learned a lot through talking with you, Jack, and through looking more into what is epilepsy and what falls under what is considered epilepsy in the different types and how it can affect people differently. Of course, I didn't know Mia, but she sounds like an amazingly motivational woman who did amazing things at university and I would have loved to have known her but the fact that she's raising so much money and her family are and educating people about epilepsy even more is, is so impressive and the fact that we can still work to talk more about it and help sign petitions to get people treatment that they need raise money I just think I'm basically trying to say I loved I love talking about this and I love to learn more and I hope that our listeners can learn more as well and carry on supporting through signing petitions like you say or donating yeah yeah i think yeah i mean petition that's just the best way to to, to do it because it's free it takes a couple seconds and um it, it does definitely make a difference and now you know people are on a, on very much on a one-off basis able to procure medicinal cannabis legally in the uk but it's on a very much on a one-off thing so yeah sign petitions research more about epilepsy and yeah I, I, pleasure talking to you both about it well thank you very much for joining us and we i did want to say as well that we will be posting links with this episode uh, for amelia's story so mia's story how you can donate we'll be putting more information about epilepsy if you wanted to learn more and you know just increase your understanding and awareness of epilepsy uh, I am actually writing a documentary about epilepsy as well which will be coming relatively soon. I will be uh, exploring similar topics with Jack and about Mia with her family and hopefully talking to some some researchers as well. So thank you very much everyone for listening. Uh, I'd like to finish this episode by dedicating it to Amelia Roberts. Thank you everyone and we'll see you next week. Thank you. <laughs>